When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does your job make a meaningful contribution to the world? David Graeber posted that question on the internet and a million people clicked on it, and then a lot of them posted answers. Now his book about that question and those answers is out. It's called Bullshit Jobs. David Graeber was an Occupy activist, and he teaches anthropology at the London School of Economics. He wrote the book Debt, The First 5,000 Years, and he publishes in Harper's The Baffler in The Guardian. We reached him today in London. David Graeber, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Well, you argue that huge numbers of people, especially in North America and Europe, work at jobs that are basically pointless and that the people doing them secretly know their jobs don't need to be performed. Consultants, communications coordinators, PR people, financial strategists, corporate lawyers. But I thought the whole point of capitalism, the thing that makes it such a ruthless and efficient engine of profit, is the the speed-ups, the downsizing, the layoffs, the replacement of human labor with machines, eliminating human labor wherever possible. Your concept of bullshit jobs suggests that that understanding of capitalism is deeply wrong. Yes, either that or the system that we're in is rapidly no longer resembling capitalism, at least as, as normally conceived. I should make clear that, I mean, this is true, that, that speed-ups, crunches, I mean, all of that has been happening in the 80s, but the pressure has fallen on blue-collar workers, not white-collar workers, on, on wage earners and not salary earners. So, so, in effect, what's happened is that they're just super-exploiting anybody who actually is productive, but at the same time, they're hiring more and more people who just kind of sit around making their boss feel important. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the future as foreseen by John Maynard Keynes back in 1930. That's the opening of your new book. Keynes thought that by, what, the year 2000, capitalism would have be... 2030, 2030, that capitalism would have become so productive that the average work week would be 15 hours. So people who who think about this say, most of them say, the reason Keynes turned out to be wrong was that he failed to see consumer society. He failed to see that given the choice between working fewer hours and getting more stuff, we have chosen the latter. Is, isn't that true, that we've all fallen for consumerism? Well, you know, that's the funny thing. We, we have this idea in our heads, but if you look at the kind of jobs that have been created, a lot of the jobs that existed in the 1930s are gone, and new jobs have been created. But those jobs, you know, are not exactly you know selling each other designer sushi or designing iPhones. Actually, very few of them are involved in things like that. We have this rhetoric about the consumer economy, especially the service economy. Since the 80s, people have been saying, "Oh, we're shifting from an industrial to a service economy." But when people talk about services, what they imagine is 
you know, people are serving each other coffee or cutting each other's hair, giving each other elaborate massages or whatnot. But actually, the funny thing is, if you really look at the numbers, actual services haven't changed at all. It's been about 20% of the workforce doing those kind of services. And, you know, there's been a shift from people doing it in private households to, to people doing it in shops. But basically, aside from that, there's been no change. What there has been is an enormous growth in clerical, managerial, and administrative work. And that's exactly the zone where so many people think that their jobs are totally pointless. Well, one obvious issue here is who decides whether a job is pointless or a job is necessary. And the mainstream view of that is the market is the best judge of that. People are willing to pay for better iPhones and designer sushi, uh, and so are right, the... But that's not where it's coming from. I mean, as I say, the, the, those jobs are not making iPhones or selling sushi. That's stayed about the same or even declined if you're talking about manufacturing. It's, it's clerical administrative jobs. Now, who's paying for that? Well, my explanation is um, it's, it's a result of trickle-down economics to a large degree. Uh, and it's a result of the moving to a more financialized rent-seeking economy. So, so, for example, you know, if you have an old Keynesian-style stimulus, the one thing both left and right agree on is more jobs is good, right? We have as many people working as possible. Yes. It's a pretty dubious premise, but like, well, let's allow that. Um, the left solution has generally been to give money to ordinary people, give money to working-class or middle-class people, and you know, working-class people will buy food and, 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 and necessities, uh, or poor people will buy, buy necessities. Middle class people, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll the ones who will get the iPhones or they'll get swimming pools. But either way, you know, you're employing people. People who own companies will, will hire people to make those things because there is demand. Uh, as if you just cut taxes and say, oh, rich people are job creators, we're going to give them more money, and they will make up their minds, uh, they will hire people and, and create because they are job creators. Well, what's going to happen? They're not going to hire people to make manufacturers if there's nobody to buy those manufacturers. And in fact, just recently, you know, when Trump was announcing his big tax cuts, they asked a whole bunch of manufacturers, uh, are you going to hire more people when you get a tax cut? And of course, almost all of them said no. But what will they do? Well, they, they know they're under pressure to, to create jobs. So, so what they do is they hire basically flunkies, the equivalent of feudal retainers. They feel a certain responsibility to spread the money around, so they just Get people to make them look and feel good. And a lot of these jobs, um, you have to bear in mind that, that in a large corporation, the power and prestige of an executive is largely measured by how many subordinates they have, how many yes. people they have working on it. Yes. Well, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> good point. Well, kind of the, the underlying basic question here is how do you define a bullshit job? Your initial Facebook post had a brilliant solution is you just ask people, do you consider you your job to be a bullshit job? And uh, you found out quite a bit just that way. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I should make it very clear. I do not consider it my business to tell anybody who thinks they're doing something useful in the world that they're wrong. On the other hand, if somebody tells me, no, my job shouldn't exist, well, who would know better? I mean, I suppose it's possible there are some people who are doing something useful and are unaware of it, but it seems unlikely. It seems much more likely that people are, you know, if they're going to be mistaken at all, they're going to be mistaken the other way. But, you know, I'm not going to argue with them. Let's just assume everybody's right. Just, to, you know, as, uh, since nobody else knows better, as a sort of starting position, well, what do we find? And we find extraordinary numbers of people feel 
that their jobs really are useless and pointless. They did a survey, YouGov did a survey in the UK and discovered 37% of all workers said, my job makes no meaningful contribution to the world at all. Uh, Holland, they actually came up with 40%. These were very high. I mean, it's way higher than I imagined. I, I was thinking it would be 15 or 20, to be perfectly honest. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. Well, think about all the people who would just never say that. You're never going to have an auto mechanic or a nurse or a bus driver or a musician even, for that matter. You know, they're not going to say that. So, so who is? Basically, anybody who's sitting there in an office who you might be wondering if they secretly think their job shouldn't exist, I would say this shows they almost certainly do. And what do you think are the moral and psychological and political effects of working at a job that you consider to be bullshit? Well, it's disastrous. I mean, people talk about the rise of clinical depression. I think something like 49% of all Americans will have some episode of clinical mental illness in their lives. Overwhelming majority of that is depression. And people tie that to consumerism. And I'm not saying that there isn't a connection. But, you know, what depression is about is meaninglessness and purposelessness. If, if people are sitting there, like, in a literal situation, you know, of meaninglessness and purposelessness, why is it surprising they feel depressed? In fact, you get depression, you get stress, you have terrible workplace behavior. Um, a lot of people commented on, you know, when people have a common purpose that they think is legitimate, they treat each other okay. You know, there's a certain camaraderie, there's cooperation. But the moment everybody is secretly aware that they're laboring in complete meaninglessness, you know, that there's no purpose in what they're doing, people start just becoming awful to each other. The bullying, workplace harassment, just awful behavior uh, increases. So, so and, and then you get between the depression for the meaninglessness and the bad behavior the meaninglessness causes, then you get psychosomatic illness. Lots of people reported all these strange conditions that would just vanish the moment they got a real job. And what about the politics of this? What do people do with their resentment and, and the depression? Who do, they, who do they see as responsible if they on. think about that? Well, you see, this is something I think is, is really pernicious and we really don't talk about that our society has become sort of held together. Our politics has been held together by these resentments. And the resentments of people who get to do something that's perceived as real. Okay, so you have that one type of resentment. Working class people, you know, resent the people they imagine as grabbing all the really good, useful jobs or creative jobs. But then people in the bullshit jobs, they resent the working class. And and you really see this. Um, Like, why is it that the only people who really took a hit after the 2008 crash, it wasn't bankers, it was auto workers. Now, there's a sense of like, well, you guys get to make cars. That's a real job. You want like middle class benefits and vacations too? That's not fair. Um, <laughs> teachers. You know, why do people get mad at teachers? And I, I've actually heard right wing activists say, well, we tried making an issue out of the school administrators first, but it, it didn't catch on. But then as soon as we talked about the teachers, everybody got really mad and angry. I mean, there seems to be this idea, like, you get to teach kids. That's real work, you know? And, and people even say, we don't want teachers to be motivated by money. You know, we want by altruistic self-sacrificing people to be teachers. How dare you demand a middle-class lifestyle? You seem to have found a general rule about pay in our society, that the mm. jobs that really benefit other people, nurses, childcare workers, home health aides, teachers, garbage collectors, mm. are the poorly paid ones, what, what, what can be done to eliminate the meaningless and unnecessary jobs and reward the workers who do the essential jobs that actually help people? 
Well, you know, I really think there needs to be a moral transformation about what we think is valuable in work to begin with. And I think this is really important. I've coined the phrase the revolt of the caring classes. And I think globally we're seeing this more and more. The working class, even in the 19th century, you know, there's, it's not like most working class people were factory workers. All these jobs like caretakers and caregivers and uh, you know, most work involves maintaining things, taking care of things, fixing things, cleaning things more than it involves producing or making things. So we have this sort of worked idea that like work is production. Well, you know, yes, some work is production, but a lot of you, you make a cup once, you wash it a thousand times, right? Yeah. Most yeah. work is actually keeping things the same and, and taking care of things. And, and, and I think we need to rethink our, our, our whole idea of what value is, what social value is, what economic value is. Ultimately, all value-producing labor is a form of care. I think we need to look at the feminist literature and, and just start over again and, and, and think about what is really valuable in work. And and if we do that, we realize, we'll realize that we're sort of cutting edge of the proletariat now, the working classes, are caregivers. When I was involved in Occupy, uh, there was a blog called We Are the 99%, and people who could, didn't have time to actually take part in the occupations, they're working too hard to sort of indicate their support by making these little placards telling their stories. And it was really remarkable. Because almost all of them had some variation of the same story, which was, I wanted to have a job which actually benefits society. You know, I could have been some jerk and gone off and made a lot of money. I could have become a lawyer or you know, a financier, but you know, I wanted to do something useful. So I got involved in teaching, or I got involved in healthcare, or I got involved in taking care of old people or disabled people or providing social services, whatever it might be. But the thing is, if you want to actually care for others, then they'll pay you so little and put you so deeply in debt, you can't even take care of your own family. I think this is ridiculous. And it was that indignation which really drove the protest more than anything else. I think we tell the history, uh, you know, that's that was the first moment of this kind of revolt of the caring classes. You look at the, the big strikes that are happening. You know, here in the UK, it's cleaner strikes everywhere. In France, suddenly um, nursing home workers are rebelling. This has never happened before in French history. In America, of course, we're having the teachers' strikes. I think this is the wave of the future. The book is Bullshit Jobs. The author is David Graeber. David, fantastic stuff. Thanks for talking with us today. It's been a real pleasure. Take care. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 